It's Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Welcome to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to like, share. And, and you know I bring the coolest people onto the podcast every single week. And this week is going to be super special. But before I get things kicked off, I got to tell you, you know I get excited about hearing different things of what's going on in the world and, and different stories. This morning I got up and I was listening to Chuck Dodge, Mr. Enthusiasm, tell this story about this man. And this man was, um, he couldn't wait to... To retire, and this man retired on the beach. I mean, who doesn't want to retire on the beach? Well, this one particular morning, he got up before the sun came up, made himself a cup of coffee, and he was looking out at the beach, and he realized that that there was a bunch of starfish all over the beach. So he was fascinated. So he walked downstairs, and he started walking down the beach, and realizing that as far as he could see, there was starfish you know, up on the shore. And uh, so he started taking the starfish and whipping them back into the ocean, whipping them back. Now at this time, he's still walking. He's throwing as many starfish as he possibly could back into the ocean. And uh, the sun's coming up. It's a beautiful day. And um, this young man walks over to him and he said, sir, what are you doing? He's like, I'm throwing starfish back into the ocean. He goes, sir, did you realize that there is starfish all the way down the beach and the beach goes for miles? There's thousands and thousands of starfish. You're not making a difference. And the old man just looked at the young man and he kept taking the starfish and whipping them back into the ocean. And finally, the young man said, sir, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you, but you're not going to make a difference. There's no possible way that you can throw all these starfish back into the ocean. And finally, as the older man picks up a few more starfish, he goes, and he whipped it back into the ocean. He goes, I made a difference in that one's life. And he threw another one into the ocean. He goes, I made a difference in that one's life. He threw another one. He goes, I made a difference in that one's life. You see, a lot of times in life, we can make a difference in people's lives one person at a time. I'm just saying that, you know, today... When you're listening to this podcast, realize that this is a lady that is making a difference one person at a time. Today is going to be like no other day. This is, um, I'm actually in her living room right now. I'm talking to Tita Ball. Tita Ball, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Outstanding. I, I, I just have to tell everybody how, how we met because yeah. it's, it's kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. Um, a, a friend of mine somebody you don't even know, Correct. saw your story, reached out to you, reached out to me and introduced us. Mm-hmm. And I got a hold of you and said, we need to do a podcast. Yeah. We need to tell your story. And I can't thank you enough for just, you know, invite me into your home after a week of just talking to you on the phone. Yeah. And, and, but this is so important for me because uh, people go through so many different things in life and life has so many obstacles and your life started crazy right from the beginning at three and a half years old. It did. Um, so I'm originally from Laos in 1980. My parents, along with my younger sister, immigrated to the U.S. Um, for a period of time, we actually stayed at a refugee camp in Thailand. And really kind of as I sit here, and I'm like <laughs> looking at you like I'm not supposed to be here. Right. So when I was three and a half, the story went, um, you know, when I, we were at the refugee camp in Thailand, that there was a fire that really kind of ravaged through um, 
the camp and you have to figure all of these huts were made out of bamboo. So, right. Like, so there was a, a frenzy and a fury and you know, the story gets recounted to me, but ultimately what my takeaway is and what's been repeated to me was, Oh, we forgot about you. Right. Like there was a raging fire, people in panic. We forgot about you. Dad had to run back and get you and what have you. And, and from that time, right, like when you blossom into like what your life is, what your how your memories start, mine started in the plane coming to America where I was in darkness. And then all of a sudden, here I am in this life, my life. But from that fire coming to America Every night for uh, many years, I used to have a reoccurring nightmare. And it was me in the middle of a hut, <laughs> a bamboo hut, um, on a white bed and white sheets. I don't even know if that's really true, but that was what my young mind, you know, right. uh, cemented in my memory. And I was surrounded in flames. And it was just this reoccurring, just horrible nightmare that plagued me. And eventually, with time, that got better. But to this day, I have a really hard time holding hot things. Um, in my early 20s, it was even hard for me to open the oven door. And it was wow. just, you think about how trauma imprints on you mm -hmm. and how this beautiful, magical brain really uh, just uh, just works through it, right? Like this beautiful, magical brain, this beautiful life that you're given, like how do you work how do you work through something like that? And, you know, in 1980, when we came here as immigrants, it, it wasn't the social climate it is now. Like we're talking about DNI, diversity and inclusion and things of that nature. When we're coming up in 1980 in Michigan here, you know, the only person I think I had to relate to was Connie Chung on, on the news. And it's like, that's great, but she's not five, six, seven, right? right yeah. And um, we were sponsored by my aunt um who was married to somebody who she met at the University of Hawaii and you know just just to make a clarification even to this day Laos is a communist country so the decision for my parents to come here was really to give my sister and I a better life right the 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 epitome of an american dream where can right. they go in the world that would afford us the best life and they chose America. But we were sponsored by my aunt. Um, unfortunately, she had passed away. Um, gosh, I can't recall the exact years, maybe six years ago, five, six years ago from ovarian cancer that actually spread to her breasts. Um, so she went through a journey herself, divorced, um, things of that nature. But she was the one who sponsored us here to America. And, um, you know, we were sponsored through a church. Wow. Um, came here. It was my first memories was, you know, my parents telling me to pick up the pick up that snow. And I, like, what, do you, <laughs> what do you mean pick up the snow? And but I did, yeah. obviously. And you just look at it in disbelief. Like, what is this? This this new experience. How do I take this? And how do I like, what is this? Right. Um, and we grew up, um, you know, just really the epitome of the American dream. And I say that because. We came here with a net worth of five American dollars, two suitcases of belongings, um, you know, ravaged by the fire, things mm -hmm. that were lost. Uh, my dad used to be a medical doctor in Laos, delivered, you know, a dozen or so babies and whatnot, village doctor. And we came here and to start over, but the start over was for something better, yeah. right? Um, and so it it was for us, first generation here in the U.S., a lot of cultural um 
differences, clashes and things of that nature. Uh, growing up, um, you know, I vividly remember walking out of elementary school and children hanging out of the bus, you know, pulling, pull, but in a, in a, actually in a very mean kind of kid way, as, as I'm sure we're all, you know, kind of, um, we've done in the past, but, um, pulling back their eyes, you know, calling yeah. us names and things of that nature. And it was really always just like, okay, beeline straight home, this and that. And, and so there was a lot of times where you had to question, self like who am I Uh, do I belong Mm -hmm. do I have value how am I seen because the way that people see me is is a bad thing right Right. the way that people see me um just doesn't make me feel good right so there was a lot of uh, that cultural clash that you know um just being able to like live this Western life. What does that mean? Your parents want the best for you but you were a little bit of an outcast and so from a um from an early age, you just work through who am I? Do I belong? Do I matter? And I can even say, ask those same questions sometimes to this day, Absolutely. and especially through say, my journey, absolutely. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you were you were talking about your aunt, mm-hmm. and and she was obviously a role model in your life. Yeah, somebody that you looked up to, and and she fought different things. Yes. So let's take this journey mm-hmm. because why we're sitting here today is because of what you've been through the last couple of years. Yes. Um, and the reason why we're doing this podcast is I've never, I've been doing, you know, motivational speaking for over 20 years. I've been doing interviews for over 20 years and I've never, ever heard a story quite like yours. And I'm about (laughs) to probably hear a whole lot more that I haven't heard from you, but we're talking folks, uh, Tita has gone through, um, breast cancer. Yes. Um, COVID-19. Yes. Um, losing a job. Yes. And divorce. Yes. All yeah. within a couple of year period. All within a couple of years, maybe three years. And I, I think I read somewhere, it was right after I got diagnosed. And, you know, you, as you do, just trying to make sense of things, you go to the Google. Um, <laughs> but what Google said <laughs> was, you know, going through divorce, losing a job and going through a medical illness or something pretty you know, pretty major having any one of those can put you in a financial ruin. Mm -hmm. And, um, I went through all of those things in, in the span of three years. And I sit here as I'm talking to you in this beautiful healing and thriving house that I'm in, and we can get into that story later, but yeah, those, those kind of things were supposed to break me kind of similar to like my life story growing up. There are things that are supposed to break you, right? Things of, you know, ridicule, ridicule, taunting, bad behaviors. Things are supposed to break you. Mm And um, they haven't me. I remember when I was younger, always thinking that I had nine lives. Seriously, from that from that story of, you know, the fire, um, there was a period of time when, um, you know, just learning new things. There was a lot of new things in America that was just like totally different. But and just coming into myself. Right. Just like making sense of the world. But um, I there was a we were living in apartments and townhomes and um and there was a pool, a community pool there. And then my mother took us there, and which was amazing, right? Because I didn't know how to swim. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, you know, you have the floaties and things. And I think I was brazen one day and I thought I was going to go on this float and I'm going to float in the pool. And I got, I was floating in the pool. And then near the, the deep end, I flipped 
And I remember sinking down in the pool and I could see activity around and I can hear muffled noises and things and like, okay, like no panic or anything. It's just, I'm in water. I can see this. Mm -hmm. And just all of a sudden somebody, a young kid jumped in the pool, got me out and things of that. And it was just, I could just see my mom's face was just like so frenzied and worried and stuff like that. But there it goes again, my story of my nine lives. Like there's things in life that are meant to break you or shock you or things like that, but you really persevere. And it's not, you know, at that age, I wasn't like, well, darn, I'm just going to keep going. And it's these, um, these life lessons that happen to you that create your story, that create your journey. And, and I do want to, before we get too far into it, really thank you for inviting me to do this because as my journey, and I'll get through to talk about my breast cancer specifically, this is really for me, a cathartic experience to honor what I just went through. And, um, I had told you, right, like I was like a few days ago last week or so, I was like, oh my, I remember coming down to uh, the kitchen where I was talking to my boyfriend. It was right after I posted on LinkedIn. And that's exactly what you were referencing to how we made the connection. Right. I, I posted on LinkedIn and I was really hesitant to do it on that platform because if anybody's listening to this and you read my Facebook, I've been very, very open, transparent, and sometimes very raw about my journey Be- for me. You right. know, it wasn't for, it was for me. Like I need to say this story. I remember in the beginning, <laughs> I was like, and you know, I have cancer, right? <laughs> like I can go up to, you know, funny story. We, um, when I first got diagnosed, my boyfriend took me on a little trip and, you know, I'm like trying to use my cancer. Like, can I go into this, you know, VIP area? You know, I have the, I was like, what am I thinking? And, <laughs> and the universe was like, no, Tita, you don't get to do that because I actually had a very, a very big scare that night and passed out and things of that nature. But the point being, um, you know, I just need to just tell, I need to just say, I need to just share. Yeah. And, um, I was able to receive such great responses from my community, my tribe in so many surprising ways. Um, and it was much greater than when I was pregnant and having children. Like people were a lot, they were really nice, like super nice. Um, and, and I'm so grateful that they were, I, I really, really believe in our connectedness, the power of their prayer, all of their well wishes. I mean, bounds and bounds of love, mm-hmm. right? Like from me, like I, I coin, I coin, I say <laughs> like, now that I've been to the other side, right now that I've been to the other side, I'm very grateful to see what I saw in people, just the beauty of everybody's words and care and kindness. And, oh man, if, if, if people could see what I was seeing in the outreach and stuff, it it was magnificent. It was beyond words really. And, and you kind of like think to me, this is directed to me, like, you know, just thinking where I've come from, like that kind of struggle, if you will, um, that kind of perseverance. And then, um, they're directing that to me. Yeah. Like, wow. And, and kind of how you opened up the story, things matter. Yeah. What you do matters, what, what you can do, um, to be human and, and, and touch somebody like it all matters. And it's and not it, always easy. It's not always easy, but sometimes you just do. I've, I had, you know, I've been divorced now for, you know, 
three, four years separated two years before that. And, um, I'm just kind of tripping up on the timeline. So, so, so was that the first thing that happened to you was your divorce? Because the first I, thing we, we, we talked about the four yes, things, the divorce, yep. you're, you know, losing a job, yep. cancer, and then COVID. Yeah. Yep. So, divorce happened. I was with, um, somebody for 20 years. It was not the relationship that I needed to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I vividly remember you the, were married to 20, somebody for 20 years. You I don't was, look that old. Oh no, you're so kind. Um, <laughs> I'm 44. Everybody. I'm 44. I wish you could I did see. not ask her. <laughs> I'm giving it freely. No, I was with this person for 20 years, married for about 15, mm-hmm. right? So I, I met him young at 19. Um, we have three be- beautiful children, but at, at a certain point, I was like, this is not the relationship for me. Um, I hit kind of a bottom and I couldn't imagine living another moment um, in that way, like not honoring myself, not being able to to really fulfill myself, right? And so um, we separated. The kids were really young, like really young. I remember um, Wyatt, my youngest, I have three, right? So Sylvie is close to being 14. Ella is 12. Wyatt's going to be 11 pretty soon. But it was right in the time where um, my youngest, Wyatt, was going to be in kindergarten. And I remember, gosh, like, am I making the right decision? Because I actually moved um, closer to... Um, his parents actually here in Farmington Hills. And I remember taking Wyatt to a kindergarten um, orientation and gosh, he was so mad at me, right? Like he didn't want to be there. It was like, buddy, you got, you know, your ABCs, just tell, <laughs> just tell the teacher your ABCs, please, buddy. You're like, right. And, and he was so upset and, and ran out. And there's probably a lot of feelings that compounded, like, you know, hearing that parents are going to be separated. Right. He's going to go to a school and, and all of his little life has changed. Right. And so he, he, he had this reaction and it was, of course, devastating as a parent, like, God, buddy, just come on. And um, I had to take him out of the situation and we left. He was in tears. I'm by my, as I was walking into the car, I'm in tears. And then he immediately stopped when we got to the car. He's like, I'm so sorry, mom. We can go shopping now if you want, if that makes you happy. I'm like, buddy, but you're supposed to. But no, the kids were really young. Um, we managed, I think, pretty well. Um, you know, we actually took a family trip to Disney and were separated for two years and the divorce officially happened. And at that time, too, I actually was, you know, I had been in advertising in the advertising industry for, you know, 16, 17, 18 years working on GM auto business. But I actually was part of a team that pitched new business. We won the business and they're like, Hey, Tita, like, why don't you help run this team? And it's like, sure, uh, sure. What Johnny, what? Sure. I'm going through a divorce. My youngest is five. Sit right. Yeah. Like, sure, sure. Let me just take this on too, because you know, I need to be a superwoman, Right. <laughs> and so I take the position and during my time there, my life was really chaotic, right? Like the point when I told you, I, I knew the point where I like, this is not for me any longer, but there was that fear of how am I going to manage being a single mom with three children, what the heck am I going to do? Right. And, and you just got to do. And, and you know, now you're not, you are not alone. Not plenty, alone. Plenty of women right now listening to you saying that I was there. I I've was been there. there. It's so, it's such a big, Can I, can I, big, can I ask a personal thing. question? Yeah, of course. When you made that decision, mm-hmm. 
was it like a breath of fresh air that you made that decision? Oh, yeah. It was... Um, because it's not easy to make that decision, first no, of all. No, because, because... you're comfortable, you're this, you're that, and you got three kids. You, for sure. You know, so was it, was it one of those times that you're like, wow, first of all, I made the decision, mm-hmm. I'm going through it, I'm happy about it, no matter what happens right now, I'm going to get through it. Right. It was yeah. scary as heck. And here's what, (laughs) and here's why, like all of those things that you said, of course, Mm -hmm. right. Um, just trying to like, okay, what is this new reality going to be for me? It was scary as heck because it was what I felt one of the most selfish decisions that I've ever made. Right. Because I needed my happiness to feel like to, you know, to function, to be, to be whole, to, to, to live with joy. Like I felt like that was the most selfish decision. And I beat myself up for, and I probably still do, for many years, right? Um, but it was very refreshing um, to be emboldened like that. Like when I got the house and, you know, I went out and <laughs> I bought an electric mower. I was mowing my grass for the first time. And there's so many firsts. And there's people that doubted me. Like, there's no way you are going to be able to, you know, work and have the kids and did, 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 and be ha- and you're just, why would you do that? Right? right. And why you need to do that is to live your best life. Right. right. Yeah. We only so, have one, right? Yeah. We only have one. So no, it was, it was like, I'm sure anybody who's gone through it, it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. It's not cut and dry. Um, it's a lot of emotional stuff you have to work through. It's easy. You know, we, you know, we had a very mutual separation where, you know, we weren't fighting over who gets what and this and that and stuff. And we, I've, I'm very confident that we both worked on doing what was best for the children, their yeah. emotional well-being and things of that nature. That's important. Are we perfect? No, but that's what we hope to do for them. And and so, yeah, so new job, this and that. And, and <laughs> during the course, you know, I was single, being single, new. I didn't date for a really long time because separation. <laughs> single, new job, new <laughs> yeah. house. I mean, what else can right. you throw on the plate, right? Oh, well, but stay better, tuned because right? it gets better. Stay, right? <laughs> like, fast forward a couple of years. But no, it's um, I didn't date right away because that wasn't why I, I you know, wanted to move forward with the decisions that I made. And I remember sitting with a group of girls from work and like, Tita, you need to, I'm like, no, I'm not ready. Yeah. I'm not ready to do that. And um, they're like, no, but you need, but you're so great. Um, yeah, no, 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 thank you. Not for me. <laughs> so that evening after, you know, cocktails and things like that, I was super like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then I did it. And I'm like, nope, shutting it down after a week. <laughs> it was really kind of a big, scary step. And there's, like I said, there's so many firsts that you go through that, gosh, I can't believe this is happening to me, right? Like these yeah. questions that you say, I can't believe this has happened. Like, what? what is my reality now? And like, you're just trying to make um, right with like, what am I going through right now? These big, like, just trying to capture your presence in the world and what you need to do moving forward. So what you have to do moving forward, this is actually a bad segue because I was going to tell you a story of me not moving forward actually is me falling off a kitchen table. (laughs) Um, So when I was, I had been dating somebody for a little bit. I finally made the plunge and, you know, was dating somebody and, um, you know, that it has relevance to the story because he ended up taking me to the emergency room, but it was um, a week that I was home for staycation 
and I was getting the house ready for the holidays. I love Christmas. <laughs> I think I love Christmas the most because um, we didn't have much growing up, right. right? Like we were started off on food stamps, transitioned from that. My parents got jobs. Um, my mom retired from the post office. My dad retired as a registered um, nurse. And, um, you know, we didn't have much. So I think Christmas was always... A time, it's just a magical time for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like what I hold important. Everybody has their different holidays and whatnot. So I was getting the house ready for Christmas, doing the decorations and and trying to put this garland up in the chandelier that I had over this big oak pedestal table that I had in the kitchen. And um, what I was trying to do was strive for perfection. And um, the universe was like, no, Tita, there's <laughs> no such thing as perfection. So I was thinking that it was pretty bright, which is not the case, um, stepped on this, <laughs> stepped up on this oak pedestal table to fix this already. Like nobody's going to, who is going to see, right? But it needed but to be knew. perfect. You're it right. needed to be perfect. I knew, right? And so I lost my balance on it, of course, as you do on an oak pedestal table because nobody's meant to stand on it and, you know, <laughs> word to your audience, please don't try this at home. Don't ever, ever, ever. Um, but as I started tipping, all in the same motion, I see my young son and my daughter. And if I did not catch that table coming down, it would have crushed right where his ribs were and his heart. And I just saw a really bad scene, right? So yeah. I'm falling down. I'm trying to catch this table. On the way down, my left leg, my knee catches one of the chairs and it twisted it just like, you know, I was a you know, some type of athlete on the field where you play those films and everybody's like, Oh God, you know, it's like one of the top 10 highlights on ESPN or, you know, NFL were like, Oh my God. And just everybody just (laughs) winces and that happened. And, um, but I caught the table. My son was good. Protect the babies, right? At all costs, you protect your babies. That's right. Yeah. So I, I pushed the, the, the table back up and I was, um, I was like, okay, we got to stand up. I got to go to work tomorrow. Like I am, I have to take care of these children. I got to, I tried to stand up and I can't put any pressure on my leg, my left leg. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I, um, you know, <laughs> pulled down my pants actually to look at my knee expecting a lot of fractures or bones or things to be sticking out and thank goodness it wasn't, but my knee was totally, totally inflamed. Um, was able to get a hold of my boyfriend who I was dating at the time to take me to the emergency room. And of course, once you get to know me more in my fashion, I guess maybe I shouldn't admit this, but really in my fashion, what I did was there's no way I'm going to the emergency room having been on staycation looking or smelling like this. So what I did was asked my middle daughter to help me um, get the shower going and my colonial, like this is a two-story home, right? <laughs> so you had to climb up the stairs. No, I didn't climb. I scooted you... my tush up each individual stair tread. And this was all to... because your boyfriend at the time, which is your boyfriend now, you asked him to take you to the hospital. Not my boyfriend now, a okay. different boyfriend. Gotcha. Asked me to take me to the hospital and I was like, you know, just, I can't have him, you know, whatever. So... We we go to the yeah. So I'm what sorry, I but that's funny. It is kind of fun. It's like insane. Like who does that? I did that. But you know, I took a shower in my stand up shower that I had in the master bedroom. Got ready. He took me, and then we got to the emergency rooms, playing Yahtzee and stuff, and waiting. And and everybody was asking like, okay, so how did this happen? And 
I said I <laughs> fell off the table and they're like, well, no, but really, how did this happen? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I really fell off the table. But um, they did x-rays and things of that nature. And I had to, long story short, I totally blew out my ACL. Totally blew it out. I had to have surgery. I was, you know, working mom, trying to establish my position at this new role, have to have ACL surgery. And I'm telling you guys, when you go through something like that, um, it's a lot of work. <laughs> Crutches in the wintertime is a lot of work. Um, to relearn how to walk. Um, I, obviously I'm walking around now and things of that nature, but still to this day, if I look over to my steps here to my left, I take them like sidestep like <laughs> a little bit, like just a little, I'll get down. Let's not fall. Some things. So, so I, I'm very cautious and very adamant about not standing on tables, but that happened and that took a little bit. Um, and just, um, you know, I think maybe the mindset I was in during that time was to hold it together. Yeah. You have to hold Some it. Some other instincts, right? Together, right. Yeah, it's survival. You got to hold it together. I was responsible for these three kids. I, you know, pay the insurance for their health. I, like, I need this this job. And, and you know, not to get into the details of anything, but I did lose that job. I lost that job. So and that's it was, number two here. That's number two. <laughs> and that was really devastating because I was, you know, when I grew up, I was um, part of um, the gifted program and, you know, teacher's pet. And I did the right things. I did the right things. Number one, probably because I didn't want to be, you know, made fun of, teased or whatever. But I did the right things. And then here I am being, you know, eliminated from my position and it was devastating, right? Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? I have to like, this is not, this is not good. Right. Um, thankfully I was able to, you know, find a position I'm, I'm where I'm at now. But during that time, right before kind of my insurance was running out, um, I was doing my regular checkups with the doctor, the gynecologist and what have you. And we were kind of worried and I was a little bit more worried and concerned actually about ovarian cancer because I mentioned my aunt previously, right? Like she passed from it. Um, you know, I had to, um, I had a partial hysterectomy, um, at one point. And I remember before she passed, when we saw her in Chicago, she said, Tita, don't do it. She's like, don't do it. If you do it, you're going to end up just like me. You're going to get cancer. And it's like this ominous, like, well, okay. <laughs> but I have to do it for my health, right? Like I'm thinking like, I will do the smart things. I will do the right things. I'll, you know, educate myself. I'll make whatever right medical decisions. And, um, you know, we go through this, uh, <laughs> This thing where you're you're supposed to take care of yourself. You're right. supposed to take care of yourself. And sometimes, you know, as a you know, a very stretched thin mother, and I'm sure a lot of people or even stretched thin father, sometimes you you don't take care of yourself, right? Yeah. You don't take care of your well being. So at this time your insurance is gonna run out. My insurance is gonna run out. So you're I'm, thinking to yourself, hey, I I better go do th- do some I, stuff. Do right? some stuff. And previous <laughs> to that, I was worried about the ovarian cancer. We did some cancer testing, actually, for the ovarian cancer. Come right. back clear. Shoof. Yeah, you're like, yeah, right. Cool. I'm, I'm good. And so okay, insurance is gonna run out. I do with a checkup and she's like, You really need to go get your baseline mammogram. I'm like, Yeah, okay. I'm like free for ovarian cancer. I'm not quite worried about that. So I push it off and um and, and really that voice in the back of my head, or really it's not the voice, it's me, me telling myself, it's going to be okay. 
um, there's nothing, right? Like you'll take care of it when you can take care of it. Right. And so I put it off because I also, that voice, the me, me <laughs> telling myself, if something were to be there, I don't have any insurance. Right. What am I going to do? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to even go there. Right. That, that, get that gets to be tabled. That gets to be, but as soon as I can, as soon as I can, when I have a job, when I have insurance, I'm going to go take care of that. Don't we all say that? We all, all say that all the time. And I did. I did. I went for my first mammogram. Um, previous to going to that first mammogram, there were some physical changes that I noticed. And um, there were probably signs that I ignored, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't feel so well. But, you know, you kind of explain it away. Oh, it's stress. It's this. You know, I've got yeah. other things to think. I got to think about my kids. Like, you just go through the litany of why not bother? Why not go mm-hmm. there? Right. And so I put it off, but I go to my first mammogram. And before that, it's like that kind of feeling that it could go kind of bad, right? It could go kind of bad just because I was ignoring certain physical things that were changing on my body, but I couldn't, I didn't have any insurance. Like I like explained mm-hmm. it all away. It was very, this was the best decision to make right but you're telling yourself that i'm telling myself right (laughs) Right. like the conversation tita's head is saying tita you're gonna be fine you're gonna be fine and um so i go before my first mammogram i i actually had um a, a, a cocktail with my my good friend karen and um it was like it was getting intense and deep i was like girl if if it's if it goes the one way it's not and you just don't want to think about it but you kind of have to say and just put it out there in the universe Mm -hmm. um and i remember sitting in the car after we were out and i'm like listen it's a 50 50 if it whatever the results are i'm gonna have to deal with it so here we go and so the next day i go in and um have my mammogram and um it's no, it's not fun, right? Like you can't. It's just not fun. Like going. I mean, I don't know, but you know. no, I, I I will spare you any like analogy to what you might go through. But um, so the tech is taking images, and you know, I mentioned on the call, like she had this disdain on her face. She was just like, and how, honey, how long? When did you notice? Why? And so I'm getting the sense of obviously she's seeing imagery that I'm not seeing. Mm-hmm. She's probably like in hindsight, she's probably thinking like, child, <laughs> why, why did you wait so long? Right. And so that happens and, you know, get dressed. We're going to call you out. And then I'm waiting. I'm trying to keep my boss like informed of, you know, just the timing of things and whatnot. And I, I get very quietly slipped a piece of paper. And the piece of paper says, do not be alarmed. No, I'm, ma- I'm making up those words. But the gist of it mm-hmm. was, do not be alarmed. You may be here a little bit longer than expected. We just want to, you know, do the due diligence or whatever the letter specifically said. Right. But that letter was like, okay, it's time to buckle in. Like, yeah. what is going on? And, you know, you just get really fidgety and try to think like, oh, of course. So, yeah, it could be nothing. And it did it. Don't overwork yourself up and this and that. And um, and then I was called back to talk to the radiologist on staff. I was like, oh, OK. And then, um, you know, her assistant comes in. Oh, OK. And the energy that you read or feel 
you know, like sometimes you can pick that up in situations. Right. And I picked up whatever that was just not good energy. And it, they were very, it was a very, it was energy of concern. Um, how can we quickly, you know, Tita, you know, I, we heard that you might not have insurance and I'm like, Oh, hold on. Everybody's misunderstanding. I actually have a job now. <laughs> like I do have insurance. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. Right. They were very, very, God bless them. They were very concerned that I wasn't going to be able to pay for what needed to come next. And what needed to come next was Tita, we're looking at your imagery and, um, we see areas of concern and on both sides. Um, and we're going to need to do a biopsy and I would recommend doing a biopsy today, right now. Can you do this? Can you, do you need to make calls? You do. And it's just like, you're just blown away. Like what, what you're just trying to absorb it. And they were able to do one biopsy that day on my left side, my left breast. And, um, I had to come back to do the right one because they had to have a special process, special machinery and, and whatnot. But okay, you know, just texting my, here, I have to stay, I got to do this biopsy and stuff. And you just go, you just kind of, you go with it, you go with it. And I waited and they do the biopsy and it's a needle biopsy and they have to numb you up. And the numbing agent was not working so great the first time around. And it was like, you're hearing from me, ow, 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 (laughs) can you give me a little bit more? And they're like, honey, we can't give you more than, you know, a certain threshold. But they go through that process, you know, three, four times um, on my left side and just, okay, we're done. We're okay. I I went through that. And um, as I was laying there, you know, they just finished the procedure and I'm at Royal Oak Beaumont, right? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all of the lights in the hospital, in that wing, completely shut down. I'm in a room with the radiologist, the tech, the this, and everybody's like working on me. And the lights go down and completely out. We are all in pitch black. And you could just panic, right? right? This has never happened before. What is going on today For amongst themselves? And I'm laying here just like half clothed and like this needs to get, right. you know, well, we need to figure out what's going on. And the radiologist was like, you know, open the door so we can get the emergency light and whatnot. And then, and then um, the lights came back up quickly, but you know, they were off long enough where it was pitch black. And I remember thinking very distinctively that that was a sign just for me, just for me, not like the hundreds of people that were there. Right. Right. But that sign from God, from the universe was just for me. And that was the message of Tita. You are going to go through a period of dark, complete dark, but on the other side is going to be light. And you're going to go through that dark pretty quickly, but there will be light on the other side. And that was clear as day. Like that was my message. Right. And I, we never knew actually I had to go back for the other procedure and the other procedure was horrible. I had to lay face down on a plastic bed for two and a half hours as this machine is drilling into me and the sound, you know, right. Like this is not, I mean, maybe it's, yeah, yeah, maybe it's the same sound as a root canal, but like not there. Right. Like, but, um, that message for was for me and just you, then you wait, then you wait for results. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being really numb. And I remember, um, meeting my boyfriend now, his name is Mark, really amazing guy. 
um, met him through mutual friends. Actually, my girlfriend, Karen, that I mentioned that I was talking with, it's it's her brother-in-law, but I've been friends with Karen for over 20 years, right? So that's <laughs> that's an amazing little story too. But I remember meeting him at Panera just like dumbfounded, kind of like if you guys could see me right now, I'm like just shaking my head, but I was just dumbfounded, like what is going on? What is? And then you just wait. And that evening I was watching my daughter play basketball and it was just everything was just, you just move like you're through, like you're moving through mucky water. Like time is just different and weird. And, and you just wait, you just wait. How for long that did result. you have to wait before you got a phone call or a letter? In the Not mail? too long. Um, the action, the, like a couple of days, if I remember correctly, um, uh, I, I got the results, um, on October 28th and October 29th is actually my daughter, my middle daughter's birthday. So the day before her birthday, um, I found out, but previous to that, what, you know, was kind of happening kind of a little bit earlier in the journey before all of this was happening. I was living, I call it my Wicklow house. And it was the house that I purchased after I separated and divorced, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is my new like divorce starter home. Right. And (laughs) for a period of time, a few months before that, I was like, I'm ready to move on to my next season. Little did I know my next season was going to be like the long, the long season. Um, but I was ready to move on to the next season and I actually had put up my house for sale and, um, I had accepted an offer on my home. Um, the house that I wanted to get accepted my offer. Things were looking really great October 27th, right? Like yeah. we're going to have a fresh start and things of that nature. And the very next day is when I got my diagnosis and I was um, had went to the Kroger, right? And um, I had missed a call from the office and I'm like, immediately thinking this is this has, this has to be good news because you do not get any bad news in such a profound way over the phone it just doesn't happen like that you don't see scripts like like nobody writes screenplays like that like it has to be a very dramatic it, it, like right like i'm yeah. like okay yeah yeah you can breathe and i get home now after the quick grocery run i'm at home i try to call the office um I don't get an, I don't get connected. And then I get a call back and it wasn't my PA that called the the doctor didn't call. It was one of the nurses there. And she's like, the results from your biopsy came and I'm so sorry, but you have invasive lobular carcinoma. And she said it so fast. And I was like mad. I was mad at her. I'm like, wait a second. You need to slow down. What are you even saying? Like I have no invasive lobular carcinoma. Like I know enough carcinoma cancer, but like what is all of this other stuff? Right. What does that mean? What does that mean for me? And it was just like a really quick, like here are the results. This is the, here it's, you know, we found it's like a certain size. You'll get your report and, and what have you. And they kind of just say, jot down the name of this doctor. You need to get a hold of Dr. Deckney. You need to hold it together. And then they kind of just, that's it. And wow. you are left there to kind of pick up the pe- like what just happened. And I was alone in the house and then it just hits you. And I just bawled and like, this is insane. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> How- this is, this is not, for me, like everybody, and I'm sure people in the same situation is like, this isn't meant to happen to me. Like this is somebody else's story. Like this is not. And I am telling you that stuff smacks you so hard, so hard. 
another thing, another trial, another what? How am I? Yeah. And so, and you get very robotic and I got very robotic. It was like, let me call these doctors. They told me to call these doctors. I have to call these doctors and I'm calling the doctor's office in panic, in like bewilderment. I don't know what to do. And, and, and I try to get a hold of Dr. Techney's office and they were so sweet. Like, honey, did you get a referral? I'm like, um, yeah, I just was told that I have cancer and they told me to do this and I'm doing this. I don't need to. And you just ramble at it. Just yeah. kind of what I'm doing. Like, what am I supposed to do something? And, um, you start making calls and you just try to get in and you just wait and you just try to process. And of course, you know, a whole bunch of texts and phone calls and stuff were sent out and I had to put a halt on the whole house buying process. Like we need to shut this down. I don't know if I can, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know about my can't, what kind of like all of these new terms and what am I going to do? And it was just insane. And you, the decision was to kind of hold it back from the kids until we knew more. Right. Um, like just trying to process everything. Uh, (laughs) you just, you get the news that you have cancer and I don't think I ever asked myself why me, like you say like, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) But I don't think I ever asked why me that day. And throughout that week, Um, I noticed that, um, before I was able to get in the doctors, I was having some intense pain, right. Um, in my jaw and my head, I wasn't feeling right. Really nauseous, of course. Right. Like Mm -hmm. in the news like that. Um, I was like, holy, I had realized I was clenching my jaw so hard that I was making myself ill from the stress and everything. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting and just massaging out my jawbone and I'm like, Oh, that feels better. And kind of in that moment, I thought like, okay, if I can control my thoughts, my, this, my, like I can make myself feel better. And very quickly I said to God, um, you're going to have to take care of this for me. I can't as much as I wanted to be the superwoman before and this mm-hmm. and that, I'm trying to do it. Like I'm mowing my own grass and <laughs> like all of these things. I'm trying to do my own Christmas decorations, but whatever. <laughs> but um, you need to take care of this for me. This is way too big. This is, this is beyond me. This is, and I said to him, I give you all of my faith. You are going to help me heal. You are going to help me get better. I need to be here for my children and I'm going to take care of the quote unquote little things, taking care of three little humans and, and whatnot. But I turned it all over to him, which is kind of an interesting story, right? Because my mom is Buddhist. I don't prescribe to a religion, but in that moment, my faith was handed over. I was just going to ask you, I mean, are you, you a faith based woman? And obviously you weren't, but I wasn't, I became, (laughs) and um, like I had always had, my own personal relationship to mm-hmm. God, my God, um, probably everybody else's God, right? Yeah. But like my own personal relationship, it wasn't a, in a prescribed way. I didn't attend church. I believed the God. And sometimes if you hear me saying, I'll kind of interchangeably say God or the universe, the lessons, the, the collective us and things like th- that nature. But no, I was very much like, this is you. Please help me take care of that. And um, it's funny that you bring up that being faith-based and, and things of that nature, because I remember kind of one of the nights um, kind of processing like this news 
And um, through my childhood and upbringing, I always, of course, I mentioned I always thought I had nine lives, right? But I always felt like there was something more for me. What was missing? Like I would have these deja vu moments. I, in my early 20s, I was, you know, like trying to grasp like, what's, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What am I doing? Like all these big questions, right? And I always felt that there was an unanswered it was an unanswered question. Like I could see people, you know, uh, going to college and they have a major in this and all of these choices were so easy for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I was just sitting here like, I don't know. I don't think I know. Right. And so this kind of unanswered of what, what am I supposed to be doing? And, and fast forward to the, the one evening kind of going the beginning journeys of my cancer journey. I had this epiphany and, and I said, God, this was, this is what you meant for me, right? This was, this was the big thing. This was the big thing that I always kind of felt in the pit of my stomach that was going to come around the corner that I should be prepared to for. Didn't know what that was. Didn't have a finger on it. Just kind of going through life, trying to discover who I was. And, and, and just, this was it. This was, this was meant for me. And he said, yes. Wow. <laughs> And like soon after that, I went to my phone and I Googled, what does the voice of God sound like? Because I'm like, that's campy. But it was him. And he said very reassuredly that it, this was it. This was for me. And okay, I've given you my faith. Um, I'm going to move through this um, as as best I, as I can. And it was whatever it took. So the hard part about cancer and I, I say this kind of in a, in a very a disbelief as my, uh, of myself like hearing these words um because it very much um feels outside of myself mm -hmm. right like I mentioned our beautiful magical minds um we have this really uncanny ability to compartmentalize and package things up to either be digestible or something to be able to uh, move through or work through. And we kind of put it away. Right. And mm -hmm. so as I'm hearing myself talk about this, it, gosh, it seems like a story, somebody else's story, but um, you know, I was very determined to whatever it took, yeah. whatever it took. And when you are I think people on the outside have always said to me, let's say, Tita, how can you do this? A uh, single divorced mom, three kids. How do you do? Oh, you just do. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? How, how did you guys go through like moving, you know, cross country in a new place and a new this? How did you just do? Right. You just do because it's about surviving. Right. And I will tell you when you get smacked with the reality of your mortality, in such a big way, you do what you got to do. Yeah, You do it and you make certain choices to, to make that happen. And I say choice because I've heard stories where people don't make the choice to be positive, to have faith, um, to, to really um, believe in the power of prayer or positivity and things like that. And they might not find themselves in, you know, you know what I mean? Like you make deliberate choices and it was whatever it took, whatever it took. So I, I, I have to jump in here and ask you this. You, you get the call. Mm -hmm. Who was the first, second, third person you told? Cause that couldn't have been easy to pick up the phone or to, to tell whoever it was. 
Yeah. That, it, hey, I have cancer. It was a flurry of, I don't even know the, the order, but it was my dear friend, Danielle, who I've been friends with since we were 16, 44 now. Uh, <laughs> but she was one of the first because she was following the journey. My, my group of girlfriends, my ex-husband, my boyfriend, of course, um, you know, all of, all of the people that needed to know um, in my tight circle. And of course, my realtor, because we needed to put the kibosh on that. Right. So what um, was that like? I'm going to back up to because of the fact that I mean, mm-hmm. everybody that listening right now knows that you went through a divorce. Mm-hmm. What was that like? To make that phone call or that person to person conversation with your with your ex-husband, because I think it's important because this is a time that it doesn't matter how much you don't like each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm just saying like people right, listening right, right, right now, there's that time that's like, hey, we have three kids. You need to know this. Yeah, for sure. And he was very, he was very great. Um, you know, he knew that there was going to be, um, you know, me having this appointment and whatnot. And just, it was really, you think about the kids, how are we going to tell the kids? And and we had that conversation about, um, you know, we need to wait until we have a really solid information so that they're not fearful that they know that this is going to be handled that mommy's sick but we're gonna fight like heck you know and so we made a very deliberate decision to make sure to tell the kids together um it was an exchange and stuff and that was hard but you know like probably in some sense in their minds and their young minds that you get desensitized a little bit, like going through divorce and, and their own personal trauma to this and, and just another hit, right? Like Mm -hmm. just another thing. And I'll tell you, um, there was times when it's like children, can't you empathize? Mommy's going through like, can you just pick up your stuff and, you know, just kids and stuff like that. But you don't really, you can't really fully embrace it unless you are it unless you go through it. And, and part of why I wanted to share this is, and, and, and maybe why other people do is to save that grief, to save the questions, to save, just listen to, you know, here's my story. Mm-hmm. If, if it influences you in any way to do different or make choices that save you pain, to save you time, to save you, that's kind of what I want to do. Right. But um, no, we made a very deliberate decision to tell what them. What was that like? When you had to, and I don't want to jump into, you know, your feelings and stuff, mm-hmm. but what was it like though? Again, I think it's important for, for people to realize uh, just because you're divorced doesn't mean you have to hate each other when it comes to the kids. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm using you as a role model here yeah. because, um, but that couldn't have been easy to sit there no. and tell your three beautiful kids, hey, no. I am getting kind of choked up now just having to ask you that. But I think it's important to ask you that and how you went through it. Right. Um I think there's a sense of fear that you use the wrong words, that you don't convey everything the way in the manner you want to convey it to reassure them that, you know, the first thing wasn't going to be, you know, mommy's going to die. That's really kind of like trying to kind of put a, a spin to it like this is where we're going to be very matter of fact um this is what's happening we're going to do this and and my my 
I think the girls kind of knew, like I actually had, unfortunately left a piece of paper out that kind of had some, you know, medical papers and things of that nature. So she kind of was like hinting around, like something's going on. So I don't know if they kind of braced for it and, and whatnot. They probably didn't know the full scope. I actually didn't know the full scope, but I was concerned about using the right words in a way, um, especially like going through the divorce to not want to, um, impact, um, that memory for them, right? Like to, to, to do the best that I could to, in, to lessen the, the, the hard news. Yeah. Um, and of course there were tears and, um, there were tears and I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if I can go there. I don't know if I can go and deep go in that well to remember. That's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're asking me about my feelings, but all I'm picturing are bright, shiny, happy faces. I, I didn't want, I don't know if I want to go there. And it, it was probably because there was so much journey that's happened after that. Right. Um, they cried, they, this, and gosh, um, I, you know, like you don't want your kids thinking they're going to lose their parents. Right. Exactly. You know, um, that's, that's a pretty big thing. Um, so I think that this is a perfect time to end this episode and come back with episode number two, because there's a whole lot more to talk about with your story. Yeah. Do you mind? No, not at all. That sounds great. Well, everybody, you are listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with the Motivational Cowboy. And I tell you what, you thought the first episode was awesome. I mean, the the second is just going to be absolutely incredible. I can promise you that. Don't forget to share this podcast with everybody you know. And again, you can follow us at MotivationalCowboy.com. You can listen to the Outstanding Life Podcast on all major platforms. And we'll see you next time right here on the Outstanding Life Podcast. Outstanding Life is a Soul Bridge Studio production.